Chips. Won't be seen tonight, so he can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X-Files. Welcome to The Gen X-Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about... Three Amigos! We are the Three Amigos! Oh, it's such a good movie. Such a good movie. And it's amazing how well it holds up. Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny's funny, man. And that's true. If you're a fan of, uh, like, the old road movies with uh, Bob Hope and... Bing Crosby? uh, Bing Crosby. (laughs) Or, you know, the Stooges or any of those fun, old, wacky movies. Yeah. You know, it was very much in the vein of, like, old silent movies and such. Yeah. And just such a brilliant movie. Not appreciated in its time as much as it should have been. No. No. But now people definitely love is it. now. I I think this movie might be the reason that I fell in love with silent movies. I think this might be my first introduction to silent movies. Really? Because I was, I mean, I was like eight. I think I was like eight or nine when I first saw it. And you weren't into silent movies yet? Uh, not yet. Late not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, but it really, it made me like, oh, it was interesting because, you know, they, it was shot so differently yeah. and like it was, you know, it was interesting. I, yeah, there were, there was a, there were. Yes, at that time they seemed to be kind of going back to that because there's also Spies Like Us, another yeah. Chevy Chase yeah. film with uh, Dan Aykroyd, which was basically the road a movie. road movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, being Crosby. In yeah. fact, I think Bob, Bob Hope Bob Hope was actually in it. Yeah, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I was in it. Yeah, yeah. I think he had a cameo in it. Just anyway. cameo. He was like 140 years My old. Bob Hope. <laughs> My eyes are really red and roomy. <laughs> Why did they stop naming that airport after me? Uh, isn't that something? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so we were kind of getting back. There was a few movies that were kind of taking us back to that time. There was also that Bruce Willis movie where he played like, uh, uh, what was the name? Mix, Tom Mix. He was like Tom Mix. And James Garner was like uh, Wyatt Earp or something. And they had to solve a crime in old Hollywood. Yeah, super forgettable movie. Wow, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't, probably 99% of the audience don't. But I was a huge Bruce Willis super right, fan. Right, right. But I forget the name of the movie. I'll have movie. to look that up. Yeah. That's cr- I, yeah, crazy. But it's a Western, like set in Western times? Well, no, it's set in Hollywood. Oh, Hollywood, so like during. Uh, Tom uh, Mix was a silent Hollywood. Oh, okay. Uh, well you, said, well, you said Wyatt Earp, so I was... And Wyatt Earp came in to help solve a crime. I don't know if it was Wyatt Earp, but it was it was a Western I guess, yeah. guy. I guess he was still alive at that time. Maybe yeah. not Wyatt Earp, but maybe like no, Marshall it, Dillon. Probably, I don't know. Anyway, it, yeah. was, it was harkening back to that time where it was kind of like, hey, we can reuse these old concepts. Right, or, so it was yeah. bringing back old Hollywood right. in a different way. And the most successful of these, in my opinion, was Three Amigos. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because uh, you got you do it with comedy, and it's gold. Well, and you also have three great... Comedic actors. Yes. Look, Chevy Chase, you know, <laughs> today, whatever. But Chevy Chase back in the day, man, I loved him. I oh, loved yeah. him. Foul play. Seems like Yo, old yeah. times. Fletch. Under the rainbow. Yeah. Fletch. Not Fletch Lives. Fletch Lives. No. no kind no, of. No. That was kind of the beginning of the end. Vacation. You know, he yeah, was, he did that Invisible Man movie. Yeah, not very good. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I liked that movie. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I mean, it's a guilty pleasure. Anyway. Sure, sure. I'd like you know maybe see it again. But he was hilarious back then. Oh yeah. He didn't take himself as seriously. And back when he he, he was also ridiculously handsome. Yes, he was. In he in, was in his heyday, <laughs> and he just had such a great pers- like people didn't see you know, very few guys can be likable and condescending. Yes. And uh, 
100% Ryan Reynolds yes. mimicked his career after Chevy Chase. Oh, yeah. Without yeah, yeah, yeah. a doubt. Yeah, he took the, all the good parts of Chevy Chase. Right. The main difference is that Ryan Reynolds, it's acting for him, whereas right. Chevy Chase is just like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. All but right. it, for all yeah. intents and purposes, the guy's had a good time. Yeah. Oh, and no. Totally. Yeah. And look, everybody knows my feelings of Steve Martin. He's yeah. a comedy god to yeah. me. He is one of my all-time greatest heroes. Uh, and... <laughs> Poor little baby-faced Martin oh, little, Short. Little Ned Niederlander. Little baby <laughs> he was Ned. so tiny. But he, he too. So you know? He's great, though. Yeah. He, yeah. It, Ed Grimley is my absolute favorite yeah. of any Saturday Night Live or SCTV no. uh, character, character yeah. of all. He, he's another one of my... Brilliant, yeah. The guy is one of the best sketch comedians ever. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it more, but, like, Martin Short, for sure, some of his best acting at the time was in this movie. Well, they like, gave he, him... Yeah. such a good arc. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just, you know, they all played their parts really well. You yeah. know, Steve Martin yeah. was the arrogant but dumb leader. <laughs> uh, Chevy Chase was the arrogant but dumb get-along-go-along <laughs> guy. Okay, whatever. Yeah, the handsome. And then yeah. Ned Niederlander was the dumb but earnest... Heart of the trio. Yeah, yeah. He was the conscience. He was the one that was right. like, "We got to do the right thing." And the other guys are like, "No, we don't." But okay, I guess we do. Well, they, he was also technically in the movie the most successful of the three of them, right? Because he had an actual career outside of them. <laughs> right. Yeah, little and, Ned. He was a child actor. Anyway, let's we'll get on to that. Let's take ourselves back to 1986, oh. uh, April 26th. Bessie Love, one of the few silent movie stars that successfully made the transition to talkies, dies at the age of 87. She was nominated for an Academy Award in 1929 for The Broadway Melody. Nice. <laughs> July 15th, at the MLB All-Star Game in the Astrodome in Houston, Barry Bremen, a.k.a. The Great Imposter, shags fly balls in the on-field pregame workout while wearing a New York Mets uniform. Uh, Bremen had previously crashed multiple All-Star Games for the NBA pretended to be a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader, and later a line judge at a Super Bowl, a few PGA golf tournaments, and even the Emmys. Yeah, he was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, at this All-Star game, Tommy Lasorda, the L.A. Dodgers coach, outed him, and he was arrested. Due to his treatment by the police in Houston, he never did his imposter shtick again. Good Lord. <laughs> Literally they... came out saying, I was treated so badly, I'm never doing this again. What did they do to him? I think they beat him pretty badly. Good Lord. Tommy yeah. Lasorda is an asshole. Well, it... <laughs> it wasn't necessarily I mean that's not untrue. I mean that's not untrue. <laughs> but it wasn't necessarily his fault. He was just the one that recognized who he was hey, and goes, hey, that plastic yeah. kid. Get the but caps to beat the crap out of him. Houston cops were not nice to him. Wait, 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 hold on. Hold the phone. You're telling me that <laughs> cops in Texas? I know, I know, I know. Oh, yeah. That sounds Oof. Uh, August 31st, Aeromexico Flight 498, a Douglas DC-9, collides with a Piper PA-28 over Cerritos, California, killing 82 people, 67 on both aircraft, and 15 people on the ground. Hilarious. That's such a funny <laughs> anecdote to put in for Three Amigos. It was an Aeromexico flight? I, I remember yeah. that, man. That was brutal. That was I can't imagine. That's terrifying. I can't imagine. And I can't, I still can't get over, this guy was just... Doing goof em ups, you know. Yeah. He was goof em ups with sports. Who cares? I, I still I, can't believe. I know it I, was just it was just one of those like I think he did the first one as a dare, and then it was like, well, let's see how many I can get away with. And like there was a Super Bowl that he got kicked out of before he could do anything. Sure. Like there was a bunch of them that he he didn't really do. Like he snuck into the Emmys. Like he did he just did all this stuff. It wasn't. I mean, it wasn't during games. It was always like a pre or like halftime thing. It wasn't malicious. No, and it was just it was he made a name for himself. Yeah, he I was mean, just being a goof. It's like people point him out and be like, "Oh, look, it's that guy." And yeah, you know, you know what, boy? 
We take sports real serious, Hal. We're going to teach you a lesson. Get the phone books and get me a plunger. Take off the plunge. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, disappointing. I think it's a, I want to think he just died a few years ago. That's sad. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't mean to obsess over this, but it just makes me sad. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a Barry Bremen episode. <laughs> I think we should. That's fascinating. <laughs> uh, so December 12th, The Three Amigos premieres. Nice. Nice. Uh, so due to the enormous success of The Jerk, Steve Martin was riding very high on the hog. Uh, he continued to appear in stand-up and TV specials appearing in four between 1979 and 1981. Yeah, he was a juggernaut. Yeah. It was around this time in 1980 that Martin had the idea for Three Amigos, which he was pitching as Three Caballeros. Three Caballeros. Yeah. Uh, it was <laughs> Martin approached Lorne Michaels about co-writing the script uh, for whatever reason. Well, my, look, Michaels was a good writer. Yeah. You know, he I, I see, he I, was younger. I, look, he put together Saturday Night Live. I, 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 mean, I, I forget that he was a major factor. Yeah. And I mean, beyond just putting it together, because mm-hmm. I think of him as a producer, not yeah. as a writer, but... You know, well, because now he's yeah. just like, hey, you know, he's just kind of like a presence. <laughs> he just hand he's a kingmaker. Like, yeah, you're funny. Okay. Yes. No. No. Yeah. yeah. Yes. By April of 1978, Martin had hosted SNL five times, being the fastest to reach the Five Timers Club in one year and 181 days. Oh, yeah. Martin has gone on to host SNL 11 more times for 16 times total, just one hosting gig behind behind tying Alec Baldwin for most times hosting. Let's fix that. Uh, I'm assuming because there's there's and we'll talk about this next week, but there's a new season of um, Only Murders in the Building coming. I'm guessing they'll probably have them host again, uh, or they'll have the two of them host together. Did they do that last? They, they they yes. They should have all three of them host. They did that once uh, to promote Three Amigos, actually. Oh, well, I mean, they should have the three, you know, oh, Selena, the, oh, Gomez, Selena Gomez, well. Gomez on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah they don't yeah. need to dig up Chevy Chase and put them on. <laughs> no, no, they do not. Uh, yeah, I get the button ready. Technically, he's not allowed on SNL anymore anyway. So. Yeah, that's true. He <laughs> burned matter. so many bridges, that one. Uh, Michaels loved the idea and immediately cast Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi to star in the movie alongside Martin. Shortly after pitching the idea to Lorne Michaels, Martin decided to try his hand at his first serious film, Pennies from Heaven, in 1981, based on the 1978 BBC serial by Dennis Potter. Martin considered it... The greatest thing I've ever seen. He was anxious to perform in the movie because of his desire to avoid being typecast. I get it. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. To prepare for that film, Martin took acting lessons from director Herbert Ross and spent months learning how to tap dance. The film was a financial failure, making just over $9 million off a $22 million budget. Martin's comment at the time was, I don't know who to blame other than it's me and not a comedy. Yeah. Well, yeah, look, he learned a very important lesson, unfortunately. Yeah. Your audience is king. And your audience is going to tell you what they want to see. Yeah, yeah. But at this point, it's all comedy with him. And and not only just comedy, he was the number one comedy guy. Yeah, yeah. And I totally get you want to stretch your muscles, but don't expect people... To embrace it, because yeah, it's don't, just... don't be surprised if you get the short end of the stick. Right, because yeah. people want to see their funny guys funny, yeah. and they want to see their sad guys sad. <laughs> <laughs> until, again, like Tom Hanks, until much later, when you've got your chops, right. and it's like you can find the right project. It, it may have been, if it was a different project, yes. maybe, but at this time, I mean, he was on TV doing stand-up, yeah. like, all the time. It's well, like, I'd also think that it was also marketed... Deceptively, they didn't market it well because yeah. they didn't know what to do with it because it was a sure. very different film. It was not a bad film. I right. I remember watching it, but I remember watching it as a kid and being like, "Oh, this isn't a Steve Martin movie." Right, right. You this know, where's the yucks? Drama. Yeah, yeah. Where's the laughs? Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't Bernadette Peters in that as well. 
I believe so, yes. She and he started I believe they together. were together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a sweet movie. Yeah, yeah. And, but it's just, it's again, I'll bring up Bill Murray and The Razor's Edge. It's just, you got to know your time and your timing. Right, and right. just because you want it doesn't mean the audience wants right. it. And, you know, this is a good... Uh, this is a good cautionary tale for young actors today. Mm-hmm. You know, young comedians especially. Be very wary, yeah. Everything, it's a much more diverse time as an actor. It, you don't get as pigeonholed as you used to get. Right, right. But, you know, nobody wants to see The Rock play, you know, a guy dying of cancer. No, no. Right? That would be super like weird. If the next Chris Rock, Kevin Hart movie was uh, <laughs> Brian's song, <laughs> a remake, you know. It's nobody could take that seriously. No, I, I'm no. not saying the guys couldn't pull it off. Know your audience, and I think yeah, Steve yeah, Martin, yeah. I get it, doesn't want to be playing a dumb guy all the time. But right, right. You got to do your dues, like you said, and then you can do and then your you stretch Oscar out. Bait. And it's yeah. like people will get because eventually people will get a little tired of the not tired of the comedy stuff, but it's like okay, we've seen you do that. Let's let's yeah, see something. They'll else. be ready for you to take that risk. Yeah, don't do it in the middle of what you you know. It's like yeah. it's like you're in the middle. Of, you know, playing a football game and you're scoring touchdown after touchdown. And then at halftime, you run over to the baseball field, start whiffing, you mean striking you, out. You turn into Bo Jackson? Or, yeah, or, or uh, uh, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Yes. Well, yeah. Michael Jordan had to play baseball because he was banned from playing basketball. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. a whole other thing. He was the goat, <laughs> but not a baseball. Uh, Martin turned back to his collaboration with director Carl Reiner and made three more movies with him. Oh, such good movies. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid in like 1982, it. co-starring Rachel Ward, which he also co-wrote with Carl Reiner. Rachel Ward was such a huge actor back then. I don't know anything about her. Gorgeous. She was also in that movie... Uh, it was with Jeff. Br- I always forget the name of it, but it was with Jeff Bridges and James Woods, and it has the iconic car chase through the Hollywood Hills. That uh, oh god, it's on the tip of my tongue. One, one, sh- it, and it had that friggin' bald Genesis guy doing the soundtrack. Bald Genesis guy, Phil Collins. Yes. <laughs> bald Genesis guy. It was like, all right, hold on, I'm gonna look it up. Like one more shot or on the on the jlibs on the jlibs on the jlibs that's what it was over 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 on the over on the mountain uh against all odds against all odds yes <laughs> it's funny now cuz that you say that with uh um almost said Phil Spector Phil Collins doing the music i remember that video i've never seen the movie it, it's not a bad it's a good movie yeah. and it does have this crazy chase through the hills that was just the talk of the year oh really yeah okay. it was and, well, and covered it was a very sexy movie and yeah. rachel ward was very sexy in it so she was just kind of like one of the it girls back then yeah yeah it's it's interesting how that happens a lot there's a lot of those in the 90s too these these women that you're like you're so good and then they're in two movies and they disappear and it's like yeah. what is happening yeah she was great yeah. Yeah. i miss rachel ward the Man with Two Brains in 1983, co-starring Kathleen Turner, which again? he also co-wrote with I, Carl Reiner. Yeah, brilliant movie. Yes, but again, a great actor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and she started out yeah. in uh, hot, hot, on the, hot on the on the Sidewalk. Yeah. What was that? Hot body on, Heat. It was Body Hot heat. on the Sidewalk. <laughs> so that she was out. the remake they're doing with The Rock and Kevin Hart. <laughs> hot on the Sidewalk. Hot on the Sidewalk. 
But yeah, she was in Body Heat with uh, William Hurt and yeah. Ted Danson. Another sexy movie. Another sexy movie. So he was just grabbing these sexy ladies yeah. and uh, putting them in his comedies. And uh, All of Me in 1984, co-starring Lily Tomlin and written by Phil Alden Robinson, who would write Field of Dreams. Such a great movie. If you have not seen All of Me, find it and watch Such it. Such a great movie. A tour de force, one of the greatest physical comedy performances by Mr. Steve Bartade. Yeah. And Lily Tomlin, too, was amazing. So yeah. I mean, the 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 depth... It could have just been a stupid goof movie. Right. You know? Right. Oh, I got somebody trapped in my body, and I'm going to yeah. be doing yeah. goofy walks. But there was a real heart to that movie, right. too. Right. And a real story and real growth. And it was, I think, probably his best I, I, definitely movie. up to that point, it was his most critically acclaimed performance up to that point. And deserve it. Look... The Jerk's my favorite. Yeah. And I think all of his movies, he's absolutely great. The guy commits. Right. You know, right. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid is such an understated and amazing performance by yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, Man with Two Brains is just wacky and fun. <laughs> it's so goofy. It's I love so it. So good. I love it so much. And it gives us that crazy side of Martin that we love. But man, all of me was just such a all around good movie. This is this is all of me is the movie that I think he was thinking that Pennies from Heaven should have been. Right. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah. Like Tom Hanks did Big, and yeah. Big was a funny comedy, but it had heart. Yeah. And it showed that he can do drama. It was acting. And and acting, right? And this is all of me. All of me was all of that. Right. And and it and it and it showed that Martin could be more than just a comedian. Right. Because it could have just been. A goof. Yeah. It could yeah. have just been like, Bleh! you know, a Jim Carrey talking at right. his butt crazy right. thing. Right. But it wasn't. It was, and no offense to Jim Carrey, he's also no, a great actor he does too. what he does very well. But, yeah, I mean, I just think Steve Martin is so underrated and underappreciated, and it bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Jim Carrey was another one of those people that, like, he eventually kind of went into, like, these kind of dramedies and then eventually yeah. did straight up dramas and then was like, you know, and absolutely disappeared into these weird movies and, that nobody wants to watch. And then, yeah, he, and then he became uh Kaufman and never went back. Nope. Yeah. He got broken. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Martin was by now requesting almost $3 million per film, but plaid and two brains both failed at the box office like pennies, putting his burgeoning film career in doubt. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what so sucks about this town. I know. Is that, you know, you take some risks, which every artist wants to do. You talk to, you know, as, when I was an actor, my motto was, if it doesn't scare me, it's not worth it. Right. If it scares the crap out of me, I want to do it. Right, right. Of because course. that's how you, you know, as an artist, that's how you grow. I use the A word. Um, and that's what you want to do. But Hollywood does not reward that. No. Hollywood no. punishes people trying to step out of their box well, and then tries right. to jam them back in their box because it's all money. Yeah, yeah. Because nine times out of ten when you do something like that, like Razor's Edge, it ends up not making money, like Pennies from Heaven. You know, once in a while you'll get, like, something that is outside the box that will make money. Sure. But that's so few and far between. But so many movies, too, especially comedies, that don't do well initially at the box office become cult hits. Yeah. And then basically your revenues for the rest of the studio's life. I mean, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid yeah. is a yeah. total underground hit yeah. now. Yeah. You know, same thing with Three Amigos. Three Amigos was huge oh, on video. Yeah, yeah. It's making a ton of money. Uh, at some point, while working on Three Caballeros with Lorne Michaels, Randy Newman started writing with them. Uh, Newman had scored big in 1977 with his surprise hit Short People from his Little Criminal album. Short People Got... No reason. I showed people got no reason to live. <laughs> in 19... They got a little feet and a, a tiny little hands, and they got ooh little mouths. And, oh, it was such a everybody thought it was such a mean song. 
Yeah. But they loved it. I mean, yeah, it was Because huge. it was stupid and funny. It wasn't really saying that short people should die. Of course not. In 1981, he earned two Academy Award nominations for Best Score and Best Original Song for the movie Ragtime. He was also nominated for Best Score in 1984 for The Natural. Ragtime, too. I remember when that came out. It was such a big deal. It was, it was one of the first movies to have African-American star. Oh, okay. And the guy who starred in it, he was also, uh, I think he was the guy that starred in the TV version of In the Heat of the Night. Oh, um... He ended up having a lot of problems. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, so that was James Cagney's last film. He played, like, the police chief or something. Yes, and uh, I think you're thinking of Howard Rollins. Howard Rollins. Yeah. It was a great performance by him. And who was the young lady? That was, um... Elizabeth McGovern. Yeah, who became a huge star. But it was Elizabeth McGovern's first movie, I think, introducing yeah, there's her. There's a lot of people in this. Oh, yeah, it was Brad huge. Brad Dourif, Jeff Daniels, oh, Danny yeah. Patinkin. Wow. It was set up to be this giant movie, and it was really good. It was Mary a Steen version? Yeah. Fran Drescher? Holy moly. It's an epic. It's wow, an that's crazy. I've never epic. seen it. You should definitely check it out. It was... I, I totally remember when that came out. It was, like, one of the it movies it of the year. Huge movies, yeah. yeah. Well, it got nominated for a bunch of uh, Academy Awards. I just can't believe that Randy... Randy Newman is another one of those guys that, like... How did you have a career? <laughs> but, he, know, but he like he does scores and actually yeah. serious stuff. And some of his songs are so beautiful. But you know, exactly voice, goes back to the how did you yeah. have a career, especially with that voice. But his voice works for his songs. Well, that's because eventually, eventually he discovered he should just do music for Disney because he was a cartoon character, right? Oh yeah, because he did like uh, he you did go for you, yeah. Me. Yeah, there was, there was a bunch of Disney stuff oh, in the 90s. Oh, me. Yeah. Uh, so he was also nominated for Best Score in 1984 for The Natural. Uh, over his career, Newman has been nominated for 22 Academy Awards. Insane. But well-deserved. The guy's a yeah, genius. he's brilliant. He's only won twice, uh, unfortunately. But he's also won three Emmys and seven Grammy Awards. He's hilarious. He's also a guy who doesn't take himself too seriously. No, and no. he's just really funny. That's what, when short people became super famous... He thought it was the most hilarious thing. Yes. Because he's like, it was like a throwaway song. Yeah. And people thought it was great. But it's a bop. It's got it's, such a uh, good yeah. hook to yeah. it. You know, it's such a, it's such a goofy. Uh, anyway, uh, <clears throat> for Three Amigos, he would provide three songs. Uh, the Ballad of the Three Amigos, My Little Buttercup, and Blue Shadows on the Trail. My Little Buttercup. Like, I just can't, every time I just picture Martin Short wiggling his butt. <laughs> yeah. Blue shadows oh. on the trail. It's a sweet song with all the animals. Yeah, it was so westerny. I mean, yeah. you know, the songs were perfect. Brilliant for yeah. the thing. And he also played the bush. Yes, this is. Uh, they did. They did alter his voice, but he did the voice of the singing bush. Uh, which I will say, I, I honestly think that this movie probably had more to do with my writing than I realize <laughs> because the, the Invisible Swordsman and the Singing Bush literally made no sense. It was so stupid. It was so stupid, and it was just a gag for Chevy Chase to kill the Invisible Swordsman. Two, two throwaway jokes, but it was so brilliant. so funny, so funny. And you know, <laughs> the, the great thing too is, is like. It was just so geared towards them because it's like, here, we got to chant this thing. Yeah. And each one of them chanted something in their signature comedy style. Right, right. So, you know, uh, so 
Martin Short was, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And well, then, and, and Steve Martin did his. It was, uh-huh, 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 it was from. Uh, he, he eventually says the name of the doctor that he played in the Man with Two Brains. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a far, the far, the far, Yeah. And then, uh, and then, <laughs> you know, doing his. Yeah. Uh, it's just, and it's so obvious. He's just like shoots, and it's like, yep, he's he just killed the invisible <laughs> he all man. Shut up. But th- that was the brilliance of this. Like, I think with. Jim, Bel- uh, Jim Belushi, uh, with John Belushi. Um, yeah. No offense to Jim Belushi. He grows weed now. He's, he's a great had guy. a fine career. Hey, I'll tell you this. He's had a fine career. I'll tell you this about Jim Belushi. I took an improv class with him. Oh yeah. And it was it was uh, it was like a two day, no, it was a one day seminar kind of okay. thing. It was like maybe a hundred of us there. He came right out, and he was like, look, this isn't a concert. This isn't a show. This is here to work. Yeah. And if you're not here to work and you get on stage, you got to get off stage because there's people that are here to work. He took improv so seriously. Nice. And I got to get up there, and I got to improvise with him. Oh, I got nice. to tell you this. He's probably the best improviser I've ever worked with. Oh, wow. Just wow. in terms of the way he approaches it and does it. Right. And I found by taking that class with him. Yeah. I found I had such a newfound respect for him yeah, as yeah. a performer and especially as an improviser because yeah. that's my favorite thing. So I apologize to you, Mr. Belushi. I you have to I have to give respect to the guy who has lived in his brother's shadow oh for his entire life. Yes. And it's and it's like he is a very talented man and he does very well with the stuff he does. I mean, he's been in some sitcoms that are a little iffy, but like <laughs> but he they're, they're always done well. He's been in some great movies. He's he was in Salvador, great, yeah. which was amazing. Great in. movies. Uh that that movie, you know, where he wakes up in the different life or whatever, Mr. Oh, yeah. Fabulous or whatever it was. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was great. He was a great actor. And now he's just a guy that grows weed. And yeah. I love him. Yeah. Yeah. It's it yeah. He's he's a good dude. Uh, but anyway, but what I was saying, sorry, <laughs> yes. as I got completely sidetracked, <laughs> by Jim Belushi, by Jim Belushi, as we all do. I think John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and Steve Martin would have been funny, sure, but it would not have been the same movie. No, no, totally. you need totally. Ned Niederlander. No, no, totally, totally. Uh, it was around this time that Steven Spielberg was attached to direct Three Amigos. Oh man, I wish. I know Spielberg wanted Steve Martin, Bill Murray, and Robin Williams to star in the film. Nope. Uh, but talks with Spiel- Spielberg fell apart, and he chose to direct E.T. instead. Good choice. But, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. No. Ron Williams, Bill Murray, and Steve Martin doesn't work. Ron Williams, is, especially at this time, yeah. is just too much for an ensemble. Like, Yeah. I you know, he And Bill Murray, Bill Murray plays dumb, but dumb arrogant, I guess. I don't know. I just don't see him yeah. fitting. You know, because he would have done like a Venkman I, or... Yeah. Because I think I think it was I think it was Bill Murray playing the Chevy Chase part, and then Robin Williams playing the Ned Nederlander part, and and it would I, it, it's I mean you're right. It at must the end have of the changed day. because there there must not have been a Ned Nederlander part because no it was it really was. Mm-hmm. and he was a it was the same kind of deal because yeah. it just seems like though yeah. <laughs> whoever was playing that part in those two inter- iterations right you know if it was either John Belushi I'm Assuming it would have been John Belushi, but I, I there was no, I don't know that for certain. But well, John Belushi would have been funny if they like made him kind of a Bluto type character, yeah, like a, a, like yeah. a consuming actor, like well, a fatty yes. arbuckle or yeah. something. Yeah, it would have worked. But I guess what I'm saying is we lucked out. Because yeah, I think I, these agreed. three were perfect. Agreed. 
Lorne Michaels turned to John Landis, whose career was still recovering from the Twilight Zone movie accident, which killed Vic Morrow and two child actors. <sighs> And this is why I included the Aero-Mexico flight, Jim. Okay. 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 Touche. <laughs> Despite it being an accident, apparently Landis was brazen and cavalier on set, leading people to believe that if he'd been more safe, the crash wouldn't have happened. Uh, I mean, look. It's possible. Things happened, but he was working those kids too long. Yeah. And he, it was not safe, what they were no. doing. No. And he wasn't taking into consideration the safety of his cast and crew. He no. Was, he no. was a... Getting needed to get his shot. It was. It was. Uh, I mean, we we've, we've seen this throughout the years, time and time again. Of you work long hours and you don't take the safety precautions you should. Oh, it's fine. It'll be fine. And then inevitably, somebody gets killed. My God, the last day I worked on the Terror Within Part Two, arguably the worst movie ever made. <laughs> it was a twenty-two hour day, Oof. and we had this big, enormous dude playing the creature. You know, he yeah, got all this makeup yeah. on. And he friggin' flipped out. And I get it, man. He's been yeah. in makeup for 20 hours. Ooh, you know, he yeah. loses his mind. But he doesn't lose his mind on Andrew Stevens, the director. Oh, he no. looks at me. Oh, no. And he comes storming over to me like he's going to kick my ass. Like, what are you, you going to do about anything? I Nothing. <laughs> I'm just a stupid intern PA. But, you know, that's where his ire went. I said the thing. You know, I think I was like, we need you on set or something right. that triggered it. And he went to beat the F out of me. Wow. Luckily, I was wily. <laughs> and he was in a bunch of makeup. So I got away. But it's like, there was no repercussions. Right. He didn't get in trouble. Of course not. You know, yeah. I almost got fired. Right. So right. from, from right. an internship, you know, on the last day. And it's just like, yeah. I, every time I've been lucky enough to direct something, I always tell the people that I'm working with, we're just making a movie. We're just oh, making yeah, a TV yeah, show. We're completely. just making a short. Yeah, right. Because right. we're just, we're just make, making doing make em ups. Making a movie. Having some fun. That's all we're doing. Look, I've never had uh, the pressure of directing something that's millions and millions of dollars. Right, right. That expects to make even more millions of dollars. Right. I totally understand the pressure of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But even so... You gotta put your people first. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Landis directed Trading Places in 1983, which was a box office smash and helped bring his reputation back. Genius. In 1985, Landis directed Into the Night, starring Jeff Goldblum, Michelle Pfeiffer, and David Bowie, a Hitchcockian thriller which didn't do terribly well. It's a fun movie. I've never seen it. It's a weird, weird movie. Jeff Goldblum is a tra air traffic control guy who can't sleep. Okay. And he ends up coming home early to take a nap or something and finds his wife in bed with somebody else and just oh. leaves. Oh, wow. And then has this and weird adventure with, oh, okay. with Michelle Fiverr, who's like a diamond smuggler, and oh, all this weird, weird stuff yeah. happens. It's just kind of a Hitchcocky, weird, the wrong man type okay. of movie. Okay. You know? Okay. I'll, I'll check it out at some point. It's not bad. Uh, also in 85, Landis directed Spies Like Us, uh, starring co writer Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase, in homage to the road two films of Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. I still love that movie. It's not a perfect movie no, by any no. stretch, but it is a funny movie. It is very funny. And the two of them together are great. Yeah, yeah. They're so goofy. It's so funny. Landis originally wanted John Candy to replace John Belushi, who died in 1982, but Candy couldn't ride a horse. Uh, there's some people that say he just never had, and some people say that he was too fat. No, he's not. No, I'm maybe. just reporting what they said. Well, uh, John Wayne was a big, big boy. John and he Candy got was on a much horse. bigger than John Wayne. Was he? 
Yes, he was. Okay. But that being said, eventually in the movie, I think it was Delirious in 91, he did ride a horse. Yeah. So I don't know so if he— So F you, all you fat shamers. He learned, his, his, he learned how to ride a horse. Or I just didn't want to do it. It might have been that he— it might have been that he was like, look, I'm going to have to learn all this stuff, and I don't want to. I don't have time. And he was also very busy. I mean, he was doing a lot of other things at the time. So. Look, he would have been great. Like, him as oh, Ned Niederlander would have been awesome. Oh, he would Because been he's just got that – he's got that thing, yeah. you know? Yeah, He's got the same thing – well, probably because they're both Canadian and they <laughs> worked on the same stuff oh, for many, hey, many years. Hey. But, you know, they've got the same – they've got that same beautiful way of – Conveying comedy innocence. Yeah, yeah. Being yeah. these earnest, innocent, yeah. lovable characters. And, true. and so true. I think out of everybody that I've heard, John Candy could have done Oh, it. he would have been great. He would have been great. Uh, Candy suggested Martin Short, who Candy worked with on SCTV. If Short, was, strangely enough, he was in his back pocket. He just like pulled <laughs> him out. Like, <laughs> just, he's, Here you go. This guy. Martin Short. Hey. Uh, if Short had been unavailable, Landis was planning on casting Rick Moranis. Another okay. SCTV. Yeah. yeah. He would have been great. He, he would have been great, too. Yeah. yeah. Another, also, again, Canadian that is... Uh, How's it going, eh? Has, is, is, can convey that, like, charm oh, yeah. without being arrogant. Of course. Um, I mean, look at him in Ghostbusters. Yeah. As, oh, he's so yeah, good. He was so good. Oh, he was such a nerd. He was so good in that But movie. so earnest. And even, even like, You're not gonna you know, come to my party. Father of the Bride and stuff. Like, he was great. He was such a Always great. Actor. great. Always. Yeah. Fortunately for Short and for Martin... Uh, Short was available, and the decades-long friendship with Steve Martin began. Ah, so perfect. Yeah. After SCTV ended in 1984, Short joined Saturday Night Live for the 84 to 85 season. He helped. so weird. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's just so... I felt like he was on it longer. Nope. The fact that he got so many amazing characters and so many memorable, quotable lines and characters from one season is incredible to me. Yeah. You know, you had, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was definitely. What was the name of that lawyer? Was it Sturm, the lawyer? That's like, why would you think I didn't know that? Of course I knew that. Why yeah, I don't remember something like that. Yeah, Spoken it was, he was so great. Yeah, and Ed Grimley, and you know the dopey guy from the the synchronized swimming films, and you know just just so many memorable, amazing characters for one year. That just blows yeah. my mind. Uh, he helped revive the show with his many characters for season 10, the last one produced by Dick Ebersole. Short's appearance on SNL helped to revive the show's fan base, which flagged after the departure of Eddie Murphy and in turn would launch a successful career in films and television. His SNL characters included numerous holdovers from his SCTV days, most notably his Ed Grimley character. I'm doing great, you must say. Depicted on SNL as a geeky everyman who is obsessed with Wheel of Fortune, plays the triangle, and often finds himself in bizarre situations rather than a miscast bad actor in several film and TV show parodies. He, Ed Grim, the reason why I love Ed Grimley so much is he is just such an earnest character. Yeah. It's a lot like Ned. He's just this guy that, oh, I just want to do the right thing, I must say. You know? And it's a weird thing. He's just like, oh, should I answer the phone? Oh, it's a, it's, what what a great opportunity for this. You know, it's just everything for Ed Grimley is like an opportunity for joy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, if I go to this, oh. very Canadian. (laughs) I'm doomed is doomed to me, you know. (laughs) Ah, ah. The completely mental misadventures of Ed Grimley, the cartoon, used the SNL characterization of him rather than the SCTV take on him. Uh, he also did impressions of cele- such celebrities as Jerry Lewis and Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, he did Jerry Lewis all right. I love his <laughs> Jerry because he does the serious Jerry Lewis really well. Oh, you know, the guy that's, you know, he's always talking. Yeah. You know, this not that lady. Yeah. But the guy, you know, the guy with the lozenge in his mouth. 
I'm a hundred percent certain that my Catherine Hepburn impersonation is literally just me doing Martin Short doing Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> yeah, probably. a lot of shaking your head. Ow, ow, ow! You old poop. <laughs> he also had his own TV special in '85 called Martin Short Concert for the North Americas, which aired on Showtime. <laughs> I remember that. It was great. Uh, this was Short's first live concert, interspersed with studio sketches and a wraparound featuring featuring Jackie Rogers Jr. Yeah, he wasn't a stand-up. So no. much as he was an entertainer. He was right. more of a right. variety guy. It was around this time that Aykroyd became unavailable, so Landis replaced him with Chevy Chase. Chase made his big break being in the original cast of SNL in 1975. He was also the first original cast member to leave halfway through the second season, citing his girlfriend, Jacqueline Carlin, didn't want to move to New York. Okay. Chevy Chase was a, Chevy Chase was a very rich man. Coming from a very wealthy family. Yes, he came from a very wealthy he family. He didn't need to yes. work. He didn't need any of this. And I get it. He was the breakout star in the first season of Saturday Night Live. Yeah. People loved him. Yeah. They loved his uh, Gerald Ford. He loved – I mean, the guy pretty much sacrificed his body for Saturday Night Live. All yeah. those pratfalls. Yeah. yeah. People forget that he was this great physical comedian that did these insane yeah. falls on live television, which seriously hurt him. Yeah. But he – was handsome, he was funny, he was goofy, he did the news, he was the first weekend update guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I get it. He's like, this is a stepping stone for me. Right, you right, know? right. I'm here, I'm not here to be yeah. your goofy boy. I want to get into TV and movies. I understand. It made a lot of people angry. Yeah. Well, sure, sure. But it's like, what are you going to do? So Chase moved to Los Angeles and married Jacqueline Carlin. Uh, he would make guest appearances and host numerous times on the show until 1997 when he was banned from the show for hitting Sherry O'Terry in the back of the head and harassing the women on the writing staff. When was this? 1997. What in the hell, Chevy Chase? You he don't hit people? Ap- he apparently, that was just the final straw, but apparently up to that point he had been just demeaning all of the female writers. Look. Just demeaning. I get it. Sherry O'Terry is really loud. <laughs> <laughs> no. Look. There's no excuse for no, that. No, no. You know? Uh, and good for them for doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he just seems like... It's just sad to me. Because a man who was pretty much given everything. Yeah. Every opportunity. Yeah. Had so many opportunities and did so much in his career. I just don't get these guys getting so bitter and angry when they get older. And they... You know, maybe it's just they have that pathological need for fame or... Yeah. Respect or whatever it yeah. is, it's insecurity, 100%. Yeah. But I just don't understand getting mean and old and racist and, and, and basically ruining your career because you can't control your yeah, yeah. crappy temper. Because you haven't learned over the last 60 years to control yourself. Right. It's like, come you, on. Look, man, he was great on Community. And he was yeah. lucky that oh, somebody yeah. gave him such a great part. Yeah. And, 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 Revived his career. Yeah. It was it was dead in the water. Nobody oh, yeah. cared anything. The only thing people knew about Chevy Chase was his being such an ass on Howard Stern. Yeah. You know about yeah. being being so unwilling to laugh at himself or poke fun at himself. Right, right. So being very serious. So the fact that he was given another chance and given such a great role, which he did a great job. Oh, he was great in it. Yeah, but to just you know. Just to screw it away like he did is just really, really sad. It's a pattern with him. It's indicative of just who Chevy Chase is. It just breaks my heart because I, I loved him so much. I, I loved him so, so, so much as a child. Like, foul, I could watch Foul Play 
over and over and over again. Yeah. Same yeah. thing with uh, uh, same thing with um, Seems Like Old Times. Yeah. Even Under the Rainbow, which is arguably a horrible movie. <laughs> but it was he was like a detective with yeah. Carrie Fisher, and it all took place yep. during the Wizard of Oz. Right, right. You know, right. it wasn't great, but watching it again... It's pretty funny. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. it's just it's just sad. It's just, it, it, I'm just so happy that I still got Steve Martin and I still have yeah, Martin yeah. Short. <laughs> they're not complete. They're not, not complete. They're not dicks at all. No, I mean, they just yeah. seem to be getting better and better as yeah. they get older and, and nicer and, and appreciative of everything they have. Especially Martin Sh- Short, it just seems like one of the most delightful human beings on the yeah. planet. Yeah. Uh, Chase had a fairly successful movie career in the late 70s and 80s, starring in Foul Play in 1978, co-starring Goldie Hawn and Dudley Moore, which earned more than $44 million. Dudley Moore. He's so funny in this movie. People forget about Dudley Moore. He was one of the biggest stars in the world, that little oh, yeah. drunk guy. Well, He's so funny. <laughs> and nobody remembers him. That's so sad. It is. Uh, the role of Eric Otter Stratton in National Lampoon's Animal House was originally written with Chase in mind, but he turned the role down to work on Foul Play instead. Because he was 40. And, and it's a little too old to play a college kid. Was he 40? No, but no, he looked but it. I mean, he was old. Yeah. Uh, the role went to Tim Matheson instead. Which was perfectly played. Right. And then Tim Matheson and Chevy Chase got to work together in Fletch. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. Chase said in an interview that he chose to do foul play so he could do real acting for the first time in his career instead of just doing shtick. I get it. Yeah. He, you know, same. You know, like uh, Steve Martin. He just, uh, this project hit. And he and Goldie Hawn had a palatable oh, chemistry. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, yeah. it which carried over to seems like old times. Yeah. They were just like that everybody loved to see the two together. Right. They, right. they were that couple that everybody wished were a real couple. Right. Right. Chase followed foul play with the successful Harold Ramis comedy Caddyshack in 1980. Caddyshack was a major box office success, pulling in $39 million off a $6 million budget. An amazing, amazing movie. Absolutely amazing movie. And his character is just the coolest dude ever. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. is just so yeah. cool. And even when he loses his cool, he's cool. Yeah. My favorite scene is <laughs> when he's trying to get his golf game back and he hits his golf ball into Bill Murray's shed where he lives. Right, right. And he's like, hey. he's like, you try a little bit of this? smoke a little bit of this Acapulco gold. <laughs> and he smokes this giant tube. He's like, okay, wash it down. He's like, put out the fire. Okay, all right, all right. Cannonball, cannonball. <laughs> and just the... <laughs> Physical comedy of Chevy Chase getting high and drunk right, off of right. this stuff. The two of them together was great. I mean, ah, it's just sad. It's a, yeah, it's a brilliant movie. I know, I know. Also in 1980, he starred in Oh, Heavenly Dog, the third in the Benji film series from director Joe Camp. Well, let's put that in quotes because he was the voice of the dog. Sure. Uh, it co-starred Jane Seymour and Omar Sharif. Uh, <laughs> that same year, he also reunited with Foul Play co-star Goldie Hawn for Neil Simon's Seems Like Old Times, which was also successful at the box office, earning more than $43 million. Oh, so good. Charles Grodin is so funny in that. It's Neil Simon, man. He's brilliant. Well, it's a perfect Neil Simon thing. So uh, Chevy Chase is a reporter who's on the run. They think he murdered somebody or something. He's yeah. you know, I don't even know if he's a reporter. He may be a reporter. I don't know. But he shows up at Goldie Hawn's house. That's his ex-wife. And she's married now to Charles Grodin. And they're having the mayor over for dinner. And it's this whole big thing. Right, right. And they have to hide him. And there's all these right, dogs. Right, 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 right. And it's just one of those kind of screwball yeah, yeah, romantic yeah. comedies that it's, it's just great. so much it's fun. It's a great movie, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just one of those, like, running into a room, running out of a room kind of, right, you know, right, one right, of those right. comedies. It's just, it's great. Chase narrowly escaped death by electrocution during the filming of Modern Problems in 1980. 
During a sequence in which Chase's character wears landing lights as he dreams that he is an airplane, the lights malfunctioned and an electrical current passed through Chase's arm, back, and neck muscles. Yeah, I would have been awful if he died on that. I know, I know. The near-death experience caused Chase to experience a period of deep depression as his marriage to Jacqueline had ended just prior to the start of filming. Uh, he was sad. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, how, man? That's not... That's tough. That's a little... Uh, being electrocuted. Yeah. Have you ever been electrocuted? Oh, yeah. Freaking hurts, man. Yeah, it's not pleasant. Uh, Chase continued his film career in 1983's National Lampoon's Vacation, directed by Ramis and written by John Hughes. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. I just... Probably my favorite comedy of all time. It's a great one. Uh, this one, grossing $61 million off of a $15 million budget, uh, was his most successful movie at the time. He married Janie Luke in 1982, and in 1985 he starred in Fletch, which grossed over $50 million off an $8 million budget. He was perfectly cast. That was just tailor-made for him. So perfect. He was so great in that movie. It's such a great movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, there were difficulties between the main actors and John Landis on set. Most famously, Chase refused to tell a particular joke that he thought would make his character look like a moron. Did he read the script? <laughs> Probably his not. character is a moron. Yeah. They're all morons. They were, he was the most convincing moron. Yes, he, and that's not a dig. He's so yeah. good. At, he's a smart guy. Smart guys no, that play totally. dumb. You know, you, his performance is silent. Yeah. Like, his yeah. performance, if you just watch him, oh, yeah. it is hilarious. Like, you can see the wheels turning in yeah. every scene. He's present. He's there. Like, all three of them are so oh, present so, in the so scene. Yeah. And even if they're not saying anything, it's they're all hilarious. They're still acting. Yeah. Oh, my God. Still, yeah. yeah. Uh, Chase agreed to do the line after Landis threatened to give it to Short instead. That's so funny. Uh, and I tried. I knew this. We were watching, and I was trying to figure out what line it would be, but I... I it was something near, I think, the beginning. I mean, look, they all said dumb stuff. None of well, them. That was, the irony was that when they were in Mexico and she's like, I like the dumb one. And she's like, which one's the dumb one? <laughs> and my first thought was, well, that has to be Chevy Chase. Right. Because he's the most convincing at being dumb. But, you know, they were all dumb. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Chase, naive. Let's just say that. Naive. Yes. Uh, Chase recalled making a hideous insult about Landis's supposed lack of stunt precautions at a 50-foot cliff in reference to Landis's ongoing Twilight Zone accidental death trial. Oh, that sounds so on brand. You know he just well, yeah. dug. He, he can find that vulnerable part of you and zero in on it and destroy you. Well, technically, he didn't think Landis was going to hear it, but he overheard it on a live microphone. Ugh. And... Nearly started a fist fight with Chevy Chase. Wow. Yeah. That would have been a goofy fist fight. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Chase later said that the making this movie was the most fun I've ever had, thereby cementing just how insane Chevy Chase actually is. He's a psychopath. He is. Uh, so, more casting. They cast Alfonso Arau as El Guapo, the leader of the group of banditos. El Guapo! Uh, he's not just an actor, he's also a director, having directed Like Water for Chocolate in oh, 1992. Yeah. I didn't know this. Yeah, this guy is incredible. And he's so good in the part. Oh, God, he's so so good. Because the the beauty of this, and this is why I love Steve Martin and I love his writing, is there's so much nuance to every character. Yeah. That's what's so much fun. And this is why these types of movies, this is what makes them work or not work. When you give depth to even the smallest character, like even the bartender yeah. has depth to him. Yeah. You know, that's what makes a comedy rich. Because right. comedy is with the characters, especially this kind of comedy. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's physicality, it's the bits. But if you don't have well-rounded... Oh no! Fun yeah, yeah. characters and unexpected characters. Then right. you know. Then it's not. Then it's funny instead of being brilliant. Well, and it's you're not forcing anything. Right. Like it's there. And yeah. It's like you just have to embody the character. And, and then it's, it's brilliant. But that explanation 
you know, that gave way to all of his other scenes. Right. Which you could see under the lens of insecurity. Right, right, exactly. And under that same and kind how, of, yeah, like, yeah. you know. He's so brilliant. Would you say, we have a plethora? <laughs> yes, I would <laughs> say a plethora. Screams at him about not knowing what plethora means. Do you know what plethora means? <laughs> Could it be heavy? <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. Uh, so, like Water for Chocolate was adapted from a, the novel written by his ex-wife Laura Esquivel. Wow. Uh, a Walk in the Clouds he directed in 1995 with Keanu Reeves and Anthony Quinn. Like Water for Chocolate was great. Yeah, I, I had no idea it was him. And the Hallmark Hall of Fame production, A Painted House, in 1991, adapted from the John Grisham novel of the same name. Uh, Arau has acted in films since 1954. He worked on The Wild Bunch in 1969, directed by Sam Peckinpah. Damn. El Topo in 1970, directed by Alejandro Jodorowsky. Another classic. Sorry, Jodorowsky. Uh, in 1972, he made appearances in Gunsmoke and Bonanza on TV. In 1980, he had a part in Used Cars, the comedy from Robert Zemeckis. Such a great movie. In 1984, he has his biggest part in an English-language movie, playing Juan, the mob boss obsessed with Joan Wilder in Romancing the Stone, also by Robert Zemeckis. Get me Joan Wilder. I and he had that little... Uh, yeah. Didn't he? No. Was he the one that had that... that uh, Tricked out truck. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> he was rich, but he was so obsessed with Joan Wilder. Yeah. The Joan Wilder? The Joan Wilder. I literally did not know until recently that it was the same guy from from Three Amigos. I had no idea that he was also the, the you know, El Guapo. Yeah. Like, I had no idea. He's just a talent. He's, he's so good. You know, he's just one of those guys that if he started working now... He'd be everywhere. Oh, yeah. As yeah. an actor, as a director, yeah. right? You know, he would be. Yeah. But, you know, starting where he did. Yeah. But he, I mean, he had a great career. Of course uh, he did. Oh, he still technically But he fought for career. it. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, he, he had, he to, had to work yeah. his ass off to get that career. And oh, yeah. And it was well-deserved. That guy is a genius. And he is so funny in this movie. Just so good. So, so funny. One of the best comedic villain roles ever. Oh, you know? yeah. You love yeah. him. You don't want him to die because you no. like him. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I was sad when Hefe died. <laughs> I like Tony Planet. Yeah, he's great. He died hilariously. Uh, so, Arau can most recently be heard as the voice of Papa Julio in the film Coco. Oh. Which came out a few years ago. And he's still kicking it at 91 years old. He's still around. Damn. I don't think he's acting anymore, but he's still around. Good for him. Yeah. I love to hear that. Yes, yes. Tony Plana is cast as Jefe, El Guapo's second in command. I love Tony Plana. The irony being that Jefe means boss. I know. <laughs> uh, Plana, uh, Plana? Let's say Plana. It's Tony Plana. Plana. Or Plana. Actually, I want to say Plana. I don't know why. Plana. Plana has appeared in over 200 films, TV shows, and video games. His first role was a guest spot on What's Happening in 1978. Plana is heavily involved in theater and encouraging minority theater companies. He originated the role of Rudy in the LA production of Luis Valdez's play Zoot Suit, going on to play Rudy in the film version as well. Yeah, that was such a groundbreaking play. Yeah. And this was like the beginning of some really great Latino yeah. theater yeah. and, you know, eventually film. But he, yeah, he was on the cusp of this. And yeah. Tony Plana is another guy. He's a workhorse, man. He's yeah. a journeyman who's been working his butt off, never gives a bad performance. He's another one of no, those guys yeah. that as soon as I see him in it, I get these crushes, man. Yeah. <laughs> I get talent crushes. <laughs> That's what I call them, talent crushes. Yeah, yeah. And I talent crushed on him hard. And... And to this day, whenever I see Tony Plana, it's a joy. Oh, he's so good. 
He's so good. He had a part in An Officer and a Gentleman, starring Richard Gere, Deborah Winger, and Louis Gossett Jr. in 1982. Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I like to call him Louis Gossett. <laughs> yeah, that's his friends, right? <laughs> yeah. That same year, he also had an appearance in Valley Girl. Uh, Plana turned down Oliver Stone's Platoon in 1986 to appear in Three Amigos. Nice. He also uh, appeared in Stone's Salvador, also released in 1986, and knew that shooting Platoon in the Philippines would be an even more difficult shoot compared to the five-star hotel that was being provided for the Tucson location for the three amigos. Yeah, I don't blame him. I, I, don't, I, I don't He think. worked with him once and goes, nope. Yeah. <laughs> well, a, it was a bigger part, probably. Yeah. And, yeah. and a more fun part, probably. Yeah, yeah. And B, yeah, look, Oliver Stone... I would love to work with him because he likes doing mushrooms and stuff with his cast and he's a weirdo. And I love Oliver Stone. I mean, JFK is he's one of my favorite great movies, fiction yes. films ever. All of his sure. films are great. Like, they're different. They're fun. He invented, basically, multimedia filmmaking where, you know, yeah. cutting video to film to right, archival footage right. to this. It's almost like a documentary style of yeah. narrative, which I love. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, I... Given the chance to work with Steve Martin and Martin Short at a five-star hotel doing a fun comedy, and as opposed to, you know, it's going to be – he's going to put you through boot camp. Yeah. And he's going to make you sleep in, no. the, in the dirt. It's so much more fun. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't think I would – if I had a successful career, I would totally do the Michael Caine route, which is like, okay, where is it filming? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, Hawaii? And this one's filming in the Antarctic? Okay. I'm going to do the Hawaii film. <laughs> uh, so Oliver Stone did not talk to Tony Plana for years because of this. He was very upset. That sounds uh, like a little – that sounds like him. Sounds like Oliver Stone, yeah. Uh, Plana, Plana has acted, directed, and written for television in series, miniseries, and specials such as – Hill Street Blues, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, Resurrection Boulevard, Commander-in-Chief, CSI, Crime Scene Investigation, The West Wing, 24, and Cagney and Lacey. In 1988, or sorry, 1998, he voiced Manny Calavera in the LucasArts adventure game Grim Fandango. Oh, such a great movie. Uh, such a great game. Recently remade. Yeah. And a classic. One of the first, like, point-and-click adventures that people yeah, just completely fell in love with. Super weird, but super amazing. Well, LucasArts I, made these great point-and-clicks yeah. that people love. What was the one with the rabbit and the, the bear? Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. Doesn't matter. But, yeah, yeah they were doing great They films. were great. Great uh, games. <laughs> Plana continues to act, most recently having recurring roles in One Day at a Time, the TV show Colony, and the TV show The Punisher, and doing voice work for The Legend of Vox Machina. Ma- Vox God. Machina. Vox Machina. No, that's great. That's like all those D&D guys. Yeah. All the voiceover actors that are D&D players. Right. That created the Ashley story. Johnson's one of them. From, oh, really? From uh, the Last of Us. Yeah. Nice. Who was in the finale. Oh. Playing uh, Ellie's mom. Which... I didn't... I started watching it, and I haven't finished it. I, I just think it's so great that they had the original Ellie being Ellie's mom. It's the perfect role. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although I don't understand why a pregnant woman was running out in the bushes while she was about to give birth. But, you know, that's just me. Well, I haven't seen the episode yet, so thanks for spoiling that, Jim. <laughs> it's literally the first shot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Still haven't seen it yet, Jim. <laughs> okay. Uh, Patrice Martinez was cast as Carmen, the daughter of, of uh, the head of the village. Beautiful. Martinez was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. As a child, she performed in local theater. She started her screen career as a teenager, working as an extra in the film Convoy, directed by Sam Peckinpah in 1978 at the age of 15. Convoy. <laughs> I can't believe Sam Peckinpah. I, I did not realize it was Sam Peckinpah that directed that. That is bizarre. Bizarre. Yeah, yeah. There was a time when 
people were obsessed with truckers. I know. And trucking. So weird. It was the rise of the CB radio yeah. that made truckers heroes. Yeah. And then and also movies like uh well, Spoking the Bandit. Well, yeah. And, and then uh, BJ and the Bear. And BJ and the Bear and I think Spoking the Bandit was first. And but didn't isn't the didn't he drive a truck in the one where Clint Eastwood was with the monkey? Was didn't any which way but loose? Didn't he drive a truck in that? Maybe. No, no. I'm no, thinking he was a bare knuckle brawler. Yeah. He he drove around. A, he drove around fights. In, a, in a truck or in a pickup truck. A pickup. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Thinking of Clint Eastwood in in a big rig for some reason. I'm sure he's done. I, he's I, done I, a thousand yeah. movies. I'm sure he's been. A it was trucker. huge. It was probably in 1977 when everyone loved truckers. Yes. Right turn, Clyde. After high school, when she was 18, she moved from Albuquerque to study at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London. She returned to the United States and soon moved to L.A. in California, where she gained her first film experience in A Walk on the Moon, released in 1987. Nice. After Three Amigos, she appeared on Magnum P.I. with Tom Selleck, portraying Linda Lee Ellison in Season 7 and Season 8, the series' conclusion uh, of the series. Yeah, she played, uh, I believe, a TV reporter. And on the the 40 episode was, yeah. was when he was turning 40. Right. Which is crazy. Right. <laughs> it's just so weird. But... Uh, but she was like his love interest that went in. I don't know if he ended up with her or if she got killed. There was like this whole stalker situation. I, yeah, I don't remember. There was somebody after her, and he tried to. It was a great episode. She was amazing, and they had yeah. really good chemistry as as uh, as a couple. She also made an appearance as Miss Argentina, the receptionist in Purgatory, in the film Beetlejuice. Oh yeah. She was great in that. She portrayed Victoria Escalante in Zorro from 1990 to 1993. And unfortunately, she passed away in 2018 after a long illness at the age of 55. God, it's so awful, awful, awful. I, yeah. It just it just breaks my heart when people die so young. And Yeah. And I just, illness is awful. It is. It is. <laughs> illness like, is coming bad. out against illness, Adam. I'm, bold statement. Illness Look, is bad. I don't care what people say. <laughs> I am against illness. I am not pro-illness. No way. Uh, Joe Mantegna was cast as Harry Flugelman, the head of Goldsmith Pictures. Harry Flugelman! Just one scene, but man, is it a good scene. Oh, he is so great. And not only that, we have uh, in that scene, yes. we have John Lovitz. Yes. And, uh, yes. and Phil Hartman. Phil we'll get to that. Phil Hartman. Yeah. Uh, Mantegna made his acting debut in the Chicago production of the stage musical Hair in 1969. He co-wrote Bleacher Bums in 1977, an award-winning play, which was first performed at Chicago's Organic Theater Company and was a member of its original cast. Yep, yep. About a bunch of Bleacher Bums. Yeah. He loved baseball. That was his big thing. Still does, because he's still alive. Yeah, well, yes. (laughs) No, he specifically told me he does not like baseball anymore. Since they've made the changes to the pitching clock, he was like, no. I get it. Yeah. Montaigne made his feature film debut in Medusa Challenger in 1977. I've never heard of this movie. Yeah, he was this... Uh, so he was this guy who, because hey, you know Medusa, she has snakes. The snake, the hair, hair snakes, and can make people turn to stone. Right. Well, he was a guy that had mongooses for hair. So he was, and so he was going to challenge, challenge Medusa for the role of Medusa as the role of a Greek god. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, is it a Greek god? Uh, or is it a? Uh, well, she's not. She wasn't really a god. It was more of a. a, a she was a monster. Like it was. It was like maybe a demigod, but even know. then, not really. Well, he just wanted his place. Yeah, and they called it Mongusa. <laughs> wow, that was a long <laughs> road to get down to Mongusa. In the movie Xanadu in 1980, he had a small role which was cut. Although, since his name is in the film's credits. 
Montaigne still gets residuals from the film. Yeah, well, not very many because nobody ever shows it. I there are a lot of people that still talk about Xanadu. Xanadu. Just saying. I saw the theater, man. It was Just really saying. weird roller skating movie uh, with uh, uh, singing in the rain guy and what's his name? Singing in the rain guy. I'm singing in the, the rain. Um. Now I can't think of his yeah, name. I, yeah, I blocked it for you. Yeah, but thanks. him and Olivia Newton-John. He and Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. Uh, Montaigne won a Tony Award for his portrayal of Richard Roma and David Mamet's play Glengarry Glen Ross in 1984. He also did a lot of work with Mamet. He did. He did. He has a, a long and su- successful association with Mamet, appearing in a number of his works. Montaigne has a recurring role in the animated series The Simpsons as the voice of mob boss Anthony Fat Tony Damico. Oh, yeah. Uh, he insists on voicing the character every time he appears, no matter how little dialogue he has. <laughs> to quote Mantegna, If Fat Tony sneezes, I want to be there. In 1988, during the play Speed the Plow, Mantegna was stricken with Bell's palsy. Oh my god. Although considered temporary, Mantegna still has persistent facial characteristics of the disease. Yeah, watching, because I watched him recently in the... They, they brought the, back Criminal the Minds. Criminal Minds yeah. yeah. And... He looks good, and he he's, looks great. But, yeah, sometimes his face is it's a little... It's pretty obvious, yeah. You know, he's got a goatee now, which which helps kind of mask that stuff. But it, It's a little, a little obvious. Yeah, yeah. But it works for him, because yeah. he's got yeah. such a, a interesting... He is another one of those really great silent facial actors that's yeah. really good at conveying things with no words. Yeah. Uh, Mantegna's wife owned the Chicago-themed restaurant in Burbank called Taste Chicago. Nice! Uh, unfortunately, it closed in 2019. Oh. Uh, due to personal reasons. It was doing fine. I just, I think she got tired of running it. I'm rich. I don't need to do this. I don't need this hassle. I, <laughs> I, I remember going to Taste Chicago quite a bit, actually. Nice. Montaigne can most recently be seen in As We See It, an eight-episode series on Amazon Prime based on the Israeli show On the Spectrum. Uh, his daughter Mia is autistic, oh, wow. and he's actually very uh, into charities for people on the spectrum. Nice. Uh, he played himself in two episodes of Barry in the third season. <laughs> he was so good. So great. And he just came back to Criminal Minds in Criminal Minds Evolution. I loved him on Barry because he had this long-running feud yeah. With uh, Henry Winkler's character. It was so great. Oh, it was so good. Oh, God, seeing those two together, too. Oh, yeah. A couple of yeah. masters. Uh, and as Jim said, Phil Hartman and John Lovitz have guest appearances as executive assistants during that, that scene. Oh, they were so good. Oh, oh. Every time I see Phil Hartman, it just breaks my heart. He's so good. I, literally, the first thing I said, they showed uh, John Lovitz and Phil Hartman in the executive's office and just the way Phil Hartman was standing yes. was hilarious. Well, I think Phil Hartman was somehow transplanted from 1930s because nobody does that better than him. He just the way he had his hand yeah, hitched yeah. up and his lay, his foot just pointed just right. Yeah. It was like it was so funny. Yeah. Well, he is watchable. That guy was one of the most, I would say, the top three most talented people ever to come out of Saturday Night yeah. Live. Oh yeah, you know, and his ending was just so tragic. It was so awful. tragic. So awful. I mean, my God, to be... I think his kids were in the house, too. Yeah. When his wife killed him and then yes. killed herself. Yes. Yeah, don't mix your drugs. Don't do it. It's bad. Well, look, there's... A lot of people do drugs, and they don't murder. She had some serious mental issues. Yes, yes. What I'm saying is that she was on a <laughs> lot of prescription drugs, and she was getting a lot of drugs from various doctors... And they were not talking, and she, it was the catalyst that eventually got her. Get the guns out of the house. Yeah, that is the easiest thing. Put the guns away. Get the guns. Get trigger locks, for the love of God. Yep. Or just, yeah, don't have guns. Jesus Christ, just don't have guns. Especially if you've got issues, you know? 
If you're taking any meds, any kind of antipsychotic meds, don't have guns. Well, depression. Well, anyway. Anyway. Uh, Not against guns. No, just against people that shouldn't have guns. Yeah, because they then have guns. we lose people like Phil Hartman. Yes. <laughs> and it's sad. Super sad. Yeah. I mean, losing anybody's sad. But, but especially Phil Hartman. But especially Phil Hartman. He was so brilliant. It's so many more years. Uh, Fran Drescher had a whole subplot that was cut from the film. You can actually see a poster for one of her in-movie movies while the gang steals their costumes from the studio. Nice. Yeah. Sam Kinison also had been cast as a Mexican bandit, but all of his scenes were cut. Thank God. Look, I love Sam Kinison. He was funny, funny dude. I just imagined him with the big old mustache and like... I can't, I would hope that it wasn't just him doing his character. Of course it was. That's why they I, cut it, because it didn't fit in the film. Oh, I'm a bandit. Oh, I'm going to kill you. Oh. I could also see him have playing the bartender, like doing the, yeah. but, but not, but, but the way that Fred Asparagus did it, where yeah. it was more reserved and like, okay. I, like, again, Sam Kinison in Back to School, gold. Absolute <laughs> gold. My favorite performances of his yeah. ever, and I love that movie. And I loved his stand-up. He was another guy that unfortunately was just yeah. so addicted. But strangely enough, yeah. didn't die from that. Died from no. a bizarre car accident in Vegas. Oh, yeah, that's it right. Kind of that's crushed right. his sternum, I think. Weird. Yeah, weird. Uh,. The musical score, as I said, I didn't include him in the script, but Fred Asparagus played the bartender, who was brilliant. And his name is Fred Asparagus. Fred Asparagus. And he looks so much like, I was like, he looks so, I was curious if he was Horatio Sands' father, because it, he looks and sounds so much like he does. Horatio Sands. I mean, he not does. exactly, but he's just got that, that Sands vibe. You get that feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, the musical score is provided by Elmer Bernstein, who also did the rousing score from the, the Magnificent Seven in 1960, which this film parodies. The music is perfection in this movie. Without that oh, so great. music, no, it, it would, wouldn't. Yeah, it wouldn't have been. But that, you know, it, it so hits good. that western sound yeah. so well, and you need that. Oh yeah, yeah. While singing the opening song, the three amigos simultaneously hold the high note for 14 seconds. Oh, so beautiful. While directing this film, John Landis was planning his defense for his upcoming trial over the deaths of Vic Morrow and the two child actors. Well, that wasn't distracting at all. Nope. John Landis was on trial over the Twilight Zone tragedy during the editing of Three Amigos, and the studio heavily edited the film down after he submitted its final cut. Sure they did. Uh, Landis and the four other defendants were all acquitted. I wonder what the cut would have been like. I would have liked to see his 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 version. Yeah. Yeah, I agreed. Agreed. Uh, however, Landis was found to have violated several labor laws, such as underage actors working too late. Yeah, it's um, not good. Not, not good. good. Not good. Yeah, it's um, it's weird. I, a lot of these comedies that come out that are like I wouldn't say I think Three Amigos is a hilarious comedy. Mm-hmm. I love it. There's not a lot that I would change in it, but I think a lot of times when the studio takes hold of it, they don't have the talent to think about like what's funny and what's not funny and they right. just cut things that they think right you know arbitrarily whatever and it and I would I think that if it was the film the vision that he had maybe and he wasn't distracted by all this Michigas yeah that uh it would have been a classic 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 comedy rather than a yeah. cult comedy yeah yeah I agree I agree uh, it, uh, when it came out, it grossed $39.2 million in the U.S. from a $25 million budget. Uh, the film was mostly panned when it first came out. I remember seeing it in the theater. I remember going, getting pretty drunk as an <laughs> underager with uh, my buddy Julie and uh, watched the movie and loved it. We both loved it. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I, I saw it a few years later when it was on TV. I'm sure it was on Showtime or something, but I remember loving it. I thought it was great. Roger Eber of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film one star out of four, writing... The idea is to make three amigos into a good comedy or here, but the madness is missing. Whatever the hell that means. It means nothing. It I... means nothing. Roger Ebert. <laughs> Janet Maslin of the New York Times wrote that it was likable but lacked a distinctive style, though certain jokes are crafted with enjoyable sophistication. That's bullshit. I think that it has a definite style. I agree. I agree. Uh, Caroline Westbrook, Westbrook of Empire awarded the film three out of five stars and wrote that it was good natured enough to sustain its ultimately thin premise. It's comedy. I, it yeah. doesn't, first of all, it's not a thin premise. No, it's really it's a not. hilarious. Pre- it's it's a takeoff on the old road movie. I mean, the fact it's not a thin premise. You have these three spoiled Hollywood actors that get a telegram. The, the the funniest thing, it's just it's done so well when she comes in to do the telegram and tells everything, and then the guys she's like, I don't have enough money, so he's like, right. I'll do it, and he cuts everything perfectly <laughs> to so make great. it sound. Yeah, yeah, it's just. It works. It totally works. It's a great fish out of water story. It's a yeah. great uh, cowards to heroes story. It's just got oh. so much in it, and it is hilarious. There's it, there's a laugh in every scene. Yeah, yeah. I I I'm, obviously it's become a cult classic since then. I mean, yeah. I, everybody loves it now. Uh, I it 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 has such a great arc. Mm-hmm. It has, especially for, for Ned Niederlander, but like the story works so well. Yeah. The, the scene where they realize that it's real is so funny and oh, so yeah. brilliant. Oh my God. And they're so good at playing cowards. And there's just so many little bits. <laughs> the that... crying. I'm sorry. The crying. It's yeah. just so great. The immediate crying. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> and like the scene when they're in the desert. And they run out of water, and then Chevy Chase is just, like, bathing himself and throwing. And the looks on the two of their faces as they're watching poor Martin Short, who literally drank sand. Yeah, it's like, who draw the short stick on that one as to drink sand? Oh, it, you know, that just, there are just little bits throughout the whole thing that are hilarious and so unexpected. Brilliant. It's, you know, the, the the party scene, when there's still the arrogant... Uh, Actors and Martin Short's talking about like the notices he got, and nobody understands what the hell he's talking about. He's like, "Yeah, that was pretty great," and <laughs> it was, and is, it is a wonderful, hilarious film. And it, more than anything else, it brought together my favorite comedy team, yeah, which yeah. is Martin and Short. Yeah, yeah, it was it was brilliant. Uh, it's it's weird to think this was their first collaboration because they've done so many since then. It seems like, and they just fit together so perfectly. Yes. The chemistry between the three leads, yeah, is palpable, and that's what makes this work because yeah. they're all. It seems like they're all really having fun, mm-hmm. but they're also very invested in their characters. These aren't caricatures. No, for these guys. No, these no, are no, characters. No, no, and they don't break character. And, you know, they're not very likable characters at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. They're not supposed to be. Right, right. Their exactly. journey is to, be, you know, they become spoiled, uh, entitled <laughs> actors into heroes. And it, their journey is really great. And 
and it's believable, and it's fun, right. and it's silly, this and is it's goofy. The beauty of the script is that they start as these stereotypes, but become very real people by the end. Right. And it's and it's such brilliant writing. It, it you see it. I mean, it's it's more with Ned than it, than the other two because of his his arc. But like all three of them, they they start with just being these insufferable. Oh yeah, Hollywood types. Yes, spoiled, entitled. I mean, that's the whole Joe Montana scene where they think they can just tell him what what's what, and he's like, "Yeah, hey, guess what?" <laughs> Steve, yeah, when Steve Martin's like, "Let me handle this," <laughs> we're not gonna. Do it. But yeah, but even like with the villains, they're so they have yeah. so much substance to them. They're not just you know your stereotypical Mexican no, banditos. No. You know, they have a whole life. They have a whole existence that is. <laughs> Explained, and it's also their whole existence is explored. Yeah, their dynamic yeah. and how they work together and how they love their. I mean, even even the German, the, the like kind of weird sub bad guy that like was giving them all the guns. Even he has like a backstory. Yeah, the German. Yeah, of how much he he loved Ned Niederlander, yeah. and then he found out it was all fake. Yes. and then like oh, okay, and my the, some of the best acting too. Is and he's like, I found it, you know, I found it too so. Uh, I'm going to get a German <laughs> accent. <laughs> Think uh, of Bratwurst. He's like, you know, I found out it was all fake. And and then Ned's like, it wasn't fake. And yeah, that, yeah. the way he responded to it. Oh, is it was so earnest. So much in that short sentence of yeah. like, no, like I learned all this stuff for real. Yeah, I worked like, hard at this. Yeah, like this was my career you're talking about. This is my life. And then, and then the best sight gag in the entire movie. <laughs> they give him that giant gun, and he's still faster than German. But oh my god, <laughs> but it, he again, flies into a horse. Oh my! It's just that's the beauty of short man. He <laughs> plays his little guy to the hilt. He loves oh, playing yeah. a weak little guy. When he hands him the gun, the gun goes down to the ground, and he has to put it up, try to get into the holster. It is just a testament to these guys, and they're crafting of comedy yeah and their crafting yeah. of character and as we go on through the rest of this month and we go through these two guys careers as yeah. we get up to them in their 70s now yeah always they've just been craftsmen oh, and yeah. artists yeah and just so serious about comedy guys that are completely serious about comedy are the best ones yeah and not like they're jerks about it or no, snobs about no it, no no but they they they're they think they're they're committed yes. to making the best comedy they can. Steve Martin, hands down, is the absolute best at smart, stupid comedy. Yeah. yeah. Because he's such a smart guy. Yeah. But he loves wallowing in stupid characters. He likes to right. he right. likes hypocrisy. He likes <laughs> you know, it's just he, he he's able to convey so much through these very simple seeming characters right. that aren't simple at all. Right. You know? It's it's so brilliant. I like like uh, yeah. you know planes, trains, and automobiles. It's such a layered character of his. Oh yeah, yeah. And s- such a such a change in his character. It just shows what a good the Martin Short and Steve Martin are brilliant actors. Yes, yeah. I think yeah. I think at one time Chevy Chase was a good actor. Yeah, but Chevy yeah. Chase knows his wheelhouse. Chevy Chase is right. good at being right. Chevy Chase, and all the best things that he's done. It's in the same exact wheelhouse. Yeah. Whether it's Caddyshack or whether it's this or whether it's Fletch or, yeah, you know, or, or the vacation movies, or yeah. vacation yeah. movies, or even seems like old times and yeah. foul play. He knows who he is and that's who he is. Right. And he plays it really, really well. These other guys, they don't always play themselves. 
they don't they right. step out of the comfortable persona you know that that America loves to see them as right and they're able to do it you know yeah. Martin Short yeah they can pull it off yeah. yeah Martin Short was on like Law and Order or something yeah doing a dramatic part yeah and he was absolutely brilliant oh I, yeah Steve Martin in the Spanish Prisoner the Mammoth uh, uh, he's freaking brilliant. So good. Uh, uh, a little change, I think that's called the, the, the small change or something. This movie where he finds this—he's this old. I know he's not that old, but he was like this gold hoarding miser yeah. who finds this little baby, yeah. and it changes yeah, his yeah. life. Right, right. And and that is, is such a sweet, fun movie. Yeah. Just there's these gems yeah. that people forget about that both these guys have done that really deserve to be revisited. And it just shows so few people get to have careers from their teens right. to their death, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or their 70s. And not only do these two guys, our heroes of the month, have amazing careers, but they have an evolution. And, right. and, only, murders and the, only Murders in the Building is hands down one of the best comedies yeah. of the last... 20 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the fact that, that Steve Martin still does, and, and, and Martin Short, yeah. they both still do such incredible physical comedy at their age. Oh, yeah. The scene with Steve Martin, when his body's been drugged, and he's trying to drag himself. <laughs> right, You right. know, it's like watching all of me again, you yeah, know? Yeah, and And I can't wait till we get, I'm really excited to talk about Only Murders in the Building, because very... We get to talk about people a lot, but but this is the first time we've kind of like right. gauged and went with people's careers yeah. over the span of their life, and and both of these guys separately and together have had amazing careers, yeah. and us to be able to kind of you know thumbnail it all the way up to now, it's really fun, and yeah. it, and it it's just be great. I'm just I'm making a list, I'm making yeah. a list of things <laughs> I want to watch. There are not two better. Comedic actors working today, in my opinion. Agreed. And with such great careers and given us so much to, to, to celebrate. Yeah. And this yeah. is about the Steve Martin short celebration. It is. And we'll be back next week with uh, Only Murders in the Building. We'll catch up on uh, everything that happened after The Three Amigos. Ooh, it's going to be a nine-hour show. <laughs> it is. Steve Martin, Martin Short. Uh, it's going to be great. I'm excited to talk about Only Murders in the Building, even though... It's going to be a, a minor part of the episode because yeah. a lot of it is going to be catching up. We've got a lot to talk about. It'll be great. Uh, join us then. Yeah. Get on HBO. Watch yourself some Three yeah. Amigos. HBO, HBO Max. HBO. Uh, stream it. It's available. It looks great. Buy it on DVD. It's great for your collection. It's a classic. It is. Fortunately for Shart. For Shart. <laughs> for Shart. <laughs> that, whose nickname is that? <sighs> got her bloop. Uh, fortunately for Short. <laughs> We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, The Jeffersons, already in progress.